Hello and welcome to Five Alive Podcast. We are here on our 14th episode, I do believe, of uh, this adventure of uh, podcasting. And uh, we're in the book of John chapter 7. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up the chapter today, and so I'm just going to kind of go through a couple of things so, uh, as a refresher, uh, and you can look over these things on your own if you want to. But in chapter 7, we can see that the time of year that we're talking about is the Feast of Booths, and the location of our passage of Scripture today, which is John chapter 7, 37 through 39, uh, is in Jerusalem. Uh, so far, we have seen Jesus speak to his brothers. We have seen him speak to the people, the crowds, and we have um, uh, even heard him preach. And his message, for the most part, has been, you, no matter who you are, don't know God. That's basically been his message so far. And the reason you don't know God is because if you knew God the Father, then you would know me, his son, the one whom he has sent. And so he has gone around and he has told people, you don't know God. And who are the people that he's been telling that to? He's been telling it to the crowds. And who are the crowds? The crowds have been religious leaders, people who have studied the Torah, people who have studied the Old Testament, people who know the Pentateuch in and out. They know the history of the Jewish people. Um, they know all about First and Second Kings. They know about the Chronicles of the Kings. They, they, these are religious leaders that have gone, gone and sat in temple and tabernacles, and they have taught about who God is. Uh, that's one of the peoples in the crowd. Uh, another group of people would be the religious zealots or those who want to see Rome overthrown and see Israel become an independent nation under the lordship and kingship of God Almighty. Then there were some soldiers there. There were Roman soldiers, because there was never a gathering or a celebration like the Feast of Booths without Roman soldiers present, because after all, they did occupy Jerusalem and the Jewish people at this time. And so they are there making sure nothing happens and uh, intimidating forces as well, I'm sure. Another group of people that we have in this passage of scripture is we have some Jewish officers that have come to arrest Jesus. And so they are there. And then we have different classes of people. We have the rich. We have the poor. We have the middle class. We have white people. We have black people. We have uh, uh, Middle Eastern people. We have people from all over the world that have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths, and they are there, and they have heard Jesus's message. Um, some in the crowd have believed Jesus and his teachings, and some in the crowd have not believed him. And some in the crowd have hated Jesus for what he's said. And so I'm just going to kind of go through the history of what it says, because in the very first few words, in fact, before the first comma uh, of the passage of Scripture in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, and it says it's the great day. And so what does this mean? And I just kind of want to give a little bit of an explanation of what the great day of the Feast of Booths is. And for anybody who has done any kind of biblical study of end times, yes, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is in a very important day or celebration within Jewish heritage for what happens in the last days. And you can see it spoke of in the book of Revelation, which is the last of the 66 books of the Bible. And uh, But 
Here we are, John chapter 7. So on the great day or the eighth day of this seven-day feast of booths, some things are happening according to the Old Testament scripture. On the eighth day, a holy or ceremonial assembly would gather. Um, And this assembly gathered every day, but on this particular day, they did something a little bit different. This was, and I'm going to go through the things that they normally did the seven days of the feast, and then what was different on this particular day. So each morning of the feast, of booths, a priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam as uh, he would read Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. So he would pour the water and, uh, and he would recite Isaiah 12, through th- or verse 3, and he would lead a um, procession of people from the pool of Siloam uh, to the temple, and they would be singing uh, f- different psalms, specifically a group of psalms called the Halal Psalms, which is H-A-L-L-E-L, and those are psalms 113 through 118. And the priests carrying the water, and the people would Uh, he would be in the front and then the people would be in a crowd behind him and they would be carrying what's called a lulab. Uh, Lulab is a myrtle and twig that is tied together with a palm and this is a symbol of the construction of the tabernacle and they would would also have a throng um, that is a lemon and that was to symbolize the harvest. Upon reaching the water gate to the tabernacle or to the temple, uh, the procession would be greeted by a blast of three loud blasts on a ram's horn. Now, I don't have a ram's horn with me today, so um, let's. Xavier is going to make a, a ram's horn sound for us real quick. Come on, Xavier, you can do it. Yeah, there we go. And uh, and so they, they would blast on the ram's horn, and the people, without stopping, would make their way to the altar of sacrifice, and the people would circle the altar, still singing the psalm, usually about Psalm 118 at this point, and they would l- wave the lulabs. Remember, those are myrtle and uh, uh, twigs that are wrapped together with a palm branch. And, um, and then they would circle the altar, Um, And then the priest would pour the water on the altar uh, and the water being poured on the altar was associated with the blessing of the coming rain. On the eighth day, they would circle it seven times before the priest would pour the water on the altar. And then Jesus did something that was unusual. At this time, uh, the way a teacher would address people, and now this isn't so different for us really here in India, teachers do the same thing still this day, uh, is they sit down on a, uh, in a place of authority and they sit there and they begin teaching. On this day, Jesus doesn't sit though. He does something a little bit different and, uh, and, and this gathers the attention of the crowd. And so we're going to read John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, and uh, Xavier would go ahead and read that for us today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, brilliant. And so that's our reading today. And so we have a condition uh, that Jesus sets out for everybody that comes 
to him, to believe on him, there is a, a, a precondition that you must have in order to, um, in order to receive from him. Uh, that condition is not um, a place of worship, like a specific location. He doesn't say that that's the condition. He doesn't say you can only worship here in Jerusalem or you can only worship here in Chandigarh or you can only worship here in Nashville, Tennessee. No, he doesn't give a location as a condition. Uh, he doesn't say you have to give a certain amount of money in order to re receive membership into this special club of belief, and then you will be able to receive from me. He doesn't say that you have to give up your culture or your foods or anything like that. He doesn't say any of those, uh, and, and he doesn't say, and your skin color, it really matters. No, better yet, your eye color, it really matters. No, better yet, your hair color, that really matters. And you need to make sure that you are exactly like this before you can believe on me. No, Jesus doesn't set those kinds of conditions. He's speaking to everybody, no matter their cultural background, no matter their status in life, no matter their income, no matter um, where they're at, no matter where we're at today, Jesus is speaking to us exactly the same way today. And the condition that he gives for belief is you have to be thirsty. Whoever is thirsty, that's the condition. You have to be thirsty. So I'm going to ask you guys, uh, uh, just briefly, think about this. What does it mean to be thirsty? What, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to you? Like, how do you know, Mallory, that you're thirsty? Like, what is it that you know? Okay, I'm thirsty, and I need to go get something to drink. Um, because my mouth becomes dry. Sure, absolutely, because your mouth becomes dry. Is there anything else? Like, how do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I am thirsty? How do you know? How do you know? Well, if you've had a lack of water for at least a few hours, you know, like, your mouth is dry, your throat starts to close up, and your lips get chapped. And even though at certain points, which I found interesting, is that even if you, like, just start feeling thirsty, like, you, you're throat is barely dry and you feel a little thirsty you're already dehydrated your body already needed fluids before that yes i mean we always need water now there is such thing as too much but <laughs> that's a different story is that you're always constantly in need of water to continue living yeah absolutely and i mean too much water means you're going to expel that water uh through going to the bathroom anyways so uh, how do you know that you're thirsty How do I know that I'm thirsty? I know that I'm thirsty because of chapped lips, cramps in my stomach, uh, maybe cramps in the legs, uh, just a feeling of na nauseousness. Also, another sign of being thirsty is really dark urine, especially if there's a big stench. That would totally mean that I'm very, very, very dehydrated. Um, our bodies need water. It's something that we, we thirst. We have to have something in us that we're thirsty for. So the meaning of thirst that Jesus is, is saying here means so, so much. And it's so just the right word because our bodies can do without food. Our bodies can do without shelter. But every three to four, we can not go without water for three or four days. Um, so, but I mean, we can, you know, discipline our body of well, I'm going to fast for 40 days. And, but the thing is, is we constantly need something to drink. So that thirst is um, ever, 
ever needed and everlasting. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I even made some notes of, um, of, of what Blair's talking about, this three to four, or even uh, I did see uh, one, one place on um, Johns Hopkins University website as I was studying this week said that it can be up to five days before a person dies. And here's what happens is, is that your blood will thicken and not flow. As a result, your skin color will turn a grayish blue. Your organs will shut down. The, the most dangerous of all organs to shut down will be your brain. It will cease to fun- function and you'll have a stroke. And, um, and, and that's, that's what happens when we go without water for long, long periods of time. Um, and, and a friend of mine who used to serve in the special forces said exactly what, what Xavier has already brought up. Like if you're already, um, like if you're thirsty, if you feel like you're thirsty, then that means you're already dehydrated. And he suggests drinking, um, three liters of water every single day. Um, and then you have uh, a guy that I follow the online sometimes with exercises. Uh, it's a website called athlete X and he suggests just in the morning when you wake up to drink 24 ounce, like the first thing you do is you jump out of bed and you go into the bathroom and, uh, there he leaves himself 24 ounces of water that he drinks, um, first thing in the morning when he gets up in order to start his day uh, to clean out any impurities in his body and to stay healthy that's uh, 0.71 liters of water so uh, over a half a liter but not quite a full liter of water and 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 again this is coming from us who seem to be uh, we we seem to be really biologically educated today in 2020 um, to the point where we can say these kinds of things. And this is also in a period and a cultural time where we readily have water available to us in our own houses. Like I can walk into the kitchen right now, turn on the uh, lift, uh, lift the side and water's going to come out. Uh, if I lift the right side, water's going to come out. If I lift the left side, water won't come out because it needs to be repaired still, um, in the kitchen. Uh, but, uh, but anyways, we have, we have water there. If I walk into any of our bathrooms, if I go to Xavier's room and I go into his bathroom, if I go into Mallory's room, go into her bathroom, if I go into our, our master bedroom and, and there's water, it's, it's, for the most part, almost all the time running. Yes, there are times that uh, uh, we do live in India. So yes, there are times that we turn the water on and it's just a little trickle. Uh, or maybe it takes a couple of minutes before it actually starts to flow. But we have water and it comes right into our house. And pumping and carrying water to our home is not the chore um, that it would have been in the, in the turn of uh, the first century AD. Uh, uh, This is not uh, the way that they had it, where they would have to walk to a a pump or a well or a pool or a stream of water. They would have to gather water in buckets and bring it to their house. And again, yes, we live in India, and yes, there are people that still have to do that here, but we are fortunate that we do not. We live in a nice complex that we have water brought directly into our house, and so we can take it for granted that we have water readily available to us at all times. If you're thirsty, you walk to the sink, you turn it on, you get some water, and, and, and you go about your day. And so with that, can you recall a time or can you think of a time that you were really just really, really thirsty that you want to share about. If, if there's not something you don't want to share about, that's okay. But can you think of a time that you were really thirsty um, 
and 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 kind of what that what that looked like or, or how that was um seen in your life i i can think of a time uh once when i was hiking i was i was in uh Leh ladakh up in north india um not quite on the china border where they're fighting at right now but i was in Leh ladakh pretty close to that area um and and i was uh there we had gone for a while without being able to find a good source of water um that we could that we could drink and so i think it had been at least a full day at that point before we were able to get any water and i can remember being extremely thirsty and like also high altitude i mean we're talking like 17,000 feet in the air and um so like my lungs were burning a little bit and and when i got that drink of water um, the relief that I got as a result, um, was just really, um, really wonderful. I, I, I can't quite express how, how fantastic it was. Um, but, uh, uh, can you, do you have a story or a time that you can remember that you were really thirsty? No. Okay. Um, so spiritually, um, this condition or a condition, uh, of your personal spirit, um, can be thirsty. That's Blair was alluding to this a little bit ago. Um, she was saying Jesus is talking about thirst, but he's meaning more than just this physical thirst is what she said. And so what is she referencing there? Well, Jesus is talking about your spirit, your innermost being. You are a person made up of three parts. There's your mind, there is your heart, and there is your soul. And that soul of you or, and that heart of you really, really can get thirsty too, just as your body can get thirsty. And, um, and so as a condition of your personal spirit, it can get thirsty. But what does that mean? What does that look like? to be thirsty, a person thirsty of the spirit. Um, I can hold a glass in my hand and be drinking water and yet be thirsty in my spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that, uh, that you thirst spiritually? What, does it, what is he drawing out of us? What is he trying to get us to contemplate and think about and reflect on when he says, Believe whoever thirsts and believes in me, I will give your life living water that will flow out of your heart. What, what, do, what is he really getting at when he says that to us? Uh, what is he really speaking to? Uh, because I feel like he's speaking to the heart of the matter or the seat of the matter with inside of us. And the seat or the heart of the issue is what we put on the throne room of our lives. Who is that person? Whom do we give control of our daily waking, living, and going to sleep at night? Whom is the one that receives credit and glory for the things that we do during the day or accomplish? Like what is, when, when you get an idea and you're like, man, this is an amazing idea. I'm going to implement this idea. Where was that idea birthed? And by whom was it birthed? Was it birthed in you by yourself? 
Was it birthed in you by an outside source? Was it something you thought of because the different people you've surrounded yourself with have spoken into your life a little bit, and then as you've put your thoughts together with their thoughts, you came up with an idea and a way of living, and so therefore you're pursuing that? I forget about it. <laughs> Usually when you have an idea, you forget about it. What do you mean? Like, if I think of something, I'm like, oh, I should do that. And then, like, five hours later, my dad comes in and he's like, hey, why aren't you doing this? And I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so sometimes we need to write things down even, right? But when it comes to the heart of the matter, the heart of our life, who sits on the throne room of that chamber of our lives? Now, I'm not talking about the physical chambers of our heart and our physical heart that is pumping inside of our chest. I'm talking about the heart, the deeper soul of the issue, the, the person of whom we are when we're in a secret place, a quiet place, an alone place. I'm talking about the person of whom we are that our ethics and our morals really come out of us. Who has that? role who has that heart of us and what does it mean to be thirsty in that area do you have anything that you want to share yeah i mean boils down to your significance mm, yeah am i significant enough and it doesn't matter what what background or anything right i, I mean whatever society dictates i mean a human is a human being and they all have wants and desires but a pretty much an ultimate desire that anyone would want from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high is, do I have value? Am I significant? Is my life worth living? Yeah. The life that I've been so blessed to be put on this earth, you know, do people, do people see me? Do people recognize me? Am I able to, um, give in and to speak life into others and um this is a non-believer or a believer i mean it like i said it, it doesn't matter because christ christ came for all and but it's a hang on i mean i think that's a soul matter that a lot of people walk through i mean you still have suicides you still have people that will throw themselves in front of trains um because they just don't see the significance of who they are and why am I still walking mm. in life? Yeah. So Christ came for that thirst. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I mean, to me, when I have been thirsty, spiritually speaking, uh, this is just a, a personal thing for me. I don't get a lot out of going and listening to some song. I, I don't. I don't get anything out of that. And in fact, I can listen to certain music that can make me feel really good because that's what the design of music is. Like the beat is right, the words are right, the lyrics are right, the way the notes are hit, and it can make me feel excited. But you know what? It's still a false a false sense of hope. And I'm, I mean, any kind of music, I'm not talking about, you know, any genre in specific. I mean, every single genre. We sing a couple of worship songs before we start this podcast that um, give praise and glory to Jesus. And there are times that that can just be as empty as anything else is to me. 
uh, if I was just to turn on the radio and listen to a Punjabi um, uh, hit. That does that 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 has no significance to to me. That doesn't cover the thirst that is within me when my spirit is thirsty. But when I sit down and I grab a hold of the Bible, and I look in the Psalms, like I was mentioning, there's a book of Psalms, Psalm one thirteen through one eighteen. They would they would sing those songs as they were walking from the pool of Siloam to the. Um, to the uh, 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 to the altar and Xavier, look one of those up. Just uh, you pick one; it doesn't matter which one. And 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 we'll read one of those here in a second. And the words in it—I mean, we can even read one seventeen. It's the shortest, the shortest chapter in all of the Bible. But you can see the life that is just there in Psalm one seventeen. I mean, it's just so rich and pure and full of hope, and just fills you with joy. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's just like, that speaks life into me. That encourages my heart. And then to sit back, to, to read that, I, 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 I somewhat feel a little bit filled. And then to sit back and to reflect and to contemplate and to, and to allow Jesus to speak to me through the Holy Spirit. And, and then all of a sudden, I, I, I get filled. I, I start having this undescribable, not just feeling, uh, it, it's not just a, an emotion, but this indescribable, words can't do it justice, uh, um, change inside of my being and I can feel filled. I feel filled because the word of God has filled me. I feel filled because Jesus Christ and my belief in him has filled me. And I feel to overflowing because the Holy Spirit then comes along as my helper, as my guide, as my, as my comforter, as my counselor, as the person who can give me answers to my life's problems. And I can sit in a room completely alone in full solitude and yet have a full-on conversation with God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth and created me. And I am filled. I am filled with living water. And it just absolutely is something that I can't then keep to myself because I can see the depression and the angst and the hurt and the turmoil on so many of my friends and my family that this becomes something that I want to share. And this becomes something that I want to proclaim. And we do have a couple more verses um, that I want to look up that specifically talk about living water. Um, but before we go on, is there anything else about this thirst and the, the desire for living water that anyone, anyone, okay, nobody wants to bring anything else up? I mean, we're just talking about the fullness of the living water. And that's the second part today is first, you've got to be thirsty. It doesn't matter who you are. You've got to be thirsty. Second, Jesus provides us with a living water. And as it says in verse 39, in this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. In this, he's talking about, the Bible also calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. And, and so we, we are, um, this is not the first time that we've spoke of Jesus teaching of living water as a gift. 
Uh, if you remember, there's been several weeks ago in John chapter 4, he was at a, um, at a well and there was a woman of ill repute, they, they would say, that came to the well and he talked about, uh, if you believe in me, and this isn't a, a Jewish woman, this isn't a believer in Christ. This isn't even a believer in the Jewish faith. This is a, a, a Samaritan woman, a person that the Jewish people would look out as uh, a horrible person. And then when you look at, reflect on her life and her lifestyle, they, the religious leaders would really look down their nose at her because, I mean, she was basically in their eyes, valueless or worthless. And as Blair was saying earlier, we have this desire to be wanted and needed and valued. And Jesus gives her value, telling her, I will give you living water. And he's again now telling the crowd, I will give you living water. Um, so in Ezekiel chapter 47, uh, Blair, if you'll get that, verses 1 through 12. And then Zechariah chapter 14, uh, 1 through 8. We're going to look at these passages of Scripture where living water is mentioned. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's taken the culmination of what was talked about in Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. What the prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 14, 1, 8, and 9, and he's taking the, the situation of what they've seen at the Feast of Booths, which was something that had been going on. We can read about the Feast of Booths in Deuteronomy chapter 23, and we can see all these things, and he's talking about the water that's a part of all of these things, and he says, I have the living water. So Ezekiel, uh, he is the, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern re region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Taza. And wherever the river goes, Every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Inaglam, however you want to pronounce those words. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. It's fish, <laughs> any glam, glam. It's fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left 
for salt. Well, that's sad. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the f- water from them flows from the sanctuary. The fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. There's a lot of alliteration in that passage of scripture. So many F's. <laughs> so much alliteration. Absolutely, there is. And, and then the, another portion is Zechariah 14. We're going to read verse 1 and then verse 8 and 9. Behold, a day is coming for you, for the Lord, <laughs> when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one in his name, one. Yeah. And so you see these passages of scripture, and this is what Jesus is talking about, that he, we'll see it in John chapter 10, he is the good shepherd, and he has other sheep that are not of this flock because they will come together, and there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. The Lord will be one. And here we have the living water that Jesus is talking about that he will give us, not because God is three, not because God is a hundred, not because God is a million, not because God is in everything, but because the Lord our God is one and he gives us the living water as the teeming fish in the sea and this alliteration that Blair was reading from Ezekiel 47, as the trees on the banks will be able to bear fruit every single month, that there will not be a winter and there will not be a summer, but that will be a, a, a temperate temperature that will always give us please uh, pleasure and, and and Jesus is saying this is what I'm preparing for you I am the living water I gift it to you and it is through the Holy Spirit that I gift it to you and so I'm gonna ask you guys and we'll start with Mallory Mallory do you have living water flowing from your heart sure sure my body that's all i know (laughs) okay uh xavier do you have living water flowing from your heart i mean i i guess i do i mean if i believe in christ and i have the holy spirit within me then yes i have living water flowing within my heart that i can then offer to other people that they might have living water inside them and they can spread it and that way one day we'll all be together in Vic, well, not Vic, heaven <laughs> with the living water yeah. that will be flowing out everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, Blair, do you have living, excuse me, do you have living water flowing out of your heart? Perfectly. I mean, I, I, I hope I do. That would be a hope and a prayer of mine to have that living water that, that continues to flow out to point to Christ Jesus as the one. I mean, I, I mean, because I think that lakes are man-made. I mean, so, like, I don't want my life to be built upon me to be man-made. I do want it to be, like, I want to be like a stream. I want to be something that would flow into a river, and the river goes into the bigger of the ocean. So that way, that one would be Christ Jesus. So prayerfully, my life is a, a reflection of that, of pouring out into others, but to not for my fame, but for Christ's fame. Mm. 
Oh, so Matt, um, are you, do you have living water that flows out from you? I also hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, as, as I get older and older and think about it and reflect, uh, I hope I also have living water that flows out of me. I know that that can come sometimes verbally. You know, when you say uh, to somebody, like you're having a conversation with a friend or somebody that you meet for the first time or anything, uh, you know, just anybody, and you, and you receive those compliments. I mean, I receive those compliments of, wow, what you just spoke, spoke life into me. I really hope that that's the Holy Spirit flowing out of me and giving those words of life that I wouldn't be able to do on my own. That, that, that's impossible for me to do on my own. I can't think up stuff uh, in order to help somebody, but I can spend time in the presence of the Lord and I can go out and do business. I can go out and go grocery shopping when there's not a curfew. I could go out and I could go to the uh, bank or I could go to the gas station or wherever and I can run into people and I can speak with them or I can smile at them. And yeah, through my mask. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's so smile with your eyes. And so, I mean, and I've heard people say before, wow, your smile has given me life. I mean, you've heard that too before, right, Blair? Absolutely. Yeah, I got a big teeth and I got a big mouth. So, yeah, my smile can light up a room. I, I hear it a lot, so I just keep smiling because God gave me a big mouth and big teeth for a reason. So just smile. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, and so what will we do? You know, we think so much that it's our words that have to give life, but sometimes we can speak life into people without even saying a thing. Uh, Addison had texted me earlier this week that she's helping at the COVID-19 uh, at Meharry Gen uh, Nashville General Hospital in Nashville. And she said, um, uh, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was something along these lines that um, people really, she really draws answers out of people as they come, uh, that they're nervous. They're about to have this thing shoved up their nose to tickle their brain. And they're nervous about that. They're nervous about the results that they're going to get with COVID-19. And here she's wearing a face shield. She's wearing an N95 mask. She's wearing a smock to cover her clothes. She's wearing gloves. And all they can see through a piece of plastic is her eyes and hear her voice and she says for some reason people keep complimenting me saying that I'm giving them comfort and I really believe that that's the Holy Spirit flowing through her and giving comfort and peace and hope to the people that yeah they may even test positive within the next couple of hours uh, uh, you know, they're already positive when they come to her and they may, may test positive and that could be, you know, a sentence of what could look like death. But yet for that brief moment, she's able to speak life into them, even if it's just a smile with her eyes. <laughs> and I find that so powerful to us. And so um, do I still drink water every day? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I don't sit there and say, okay, Jesus, I believe on him. He's my living water. So I no longer have to drink water. Uh, uh, no, no. I still have to drink water every day. So my belief in Jesus Christ and the gift that he's given me of the Holy Spirit, which is living water with inside of me, then flows 
out of my heart. In other words, um, when I was younger and single, I used to drink a lot of coffee. And not that I don't drink coffee now. I try and limit myself to three cups of coffee a day. And uh, I've done really good this year um, of 2020. So thank you, 2020. Mallory's giving me a high five. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I didn't like to wash dishes either. Because one of my jobs when I was in high school, when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, was to wash dishes. And so when I came home, I didn't want to wash dishes. So I had a coffee cup that I'd use. And I would just, again, spoiled uh, availability of running water. I would go into the kitchen. I would turn the water onto the hot water. And I would let the water flow into my cup. And I would just let it do that for about a minute or two to wash my cup out. So I didn't have to, so I didn't have to wash it. And I would walk away from it as it was doing that. And I would prepare some food or whatever. And then I would come back and my, as far as I was concerned, my glass was clean and sterile. And uh, my wife's looking at me like, that's so disgusting. Uh, But anyways, um, I bring that up, that story up, because it's a story of what overflowing waters will flow from your heart. And this is the spirit. In other words, I am completely full. And the waters are flowing out of me that then fill others up. Doesn't mean that I then stop being filled. I don't run myself to exhaustion to the point where, or view things on the internet or on TV or listen to the kind of music or surround myself all of the time with the kinds of people that would cause that living water to be dammed up inside of me and then not flow, not only to other people, but not even quench my own thirst. Because I can do that. Jesus doesn't stop giving me living water. He doesn't walk away from me. The Holy Spirit doesn't turn his back on me when I believe in him. But I sure can disqualify myself. I sure can dam up those living waters so that that way I become an evil, evil person. Christian in name only. And yet my fruit does not reflect the kingdom of heaven does not reflect who Jesus Christ is. And so I just, I, I kind of come to a conclusion today uh, with talking about that, uh, uh, with discussing that, with thinking about that. Are you the kind of person that has built a wall in your life against other people? That you have damned up the living water that Christ has promised you and desires to bless you with? Have you been like the people in the crowd and rejected him and said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this guy. He says that there's people out to kill him. He's nuts, whatever. I don't want to listen to this anymore and walk away from him because then living water isn't granted to me if I turn my back on Christ. See, he never turns on me. I'm the one that turns away from him. And, uh, uh, There's hope for you, even if you have turned your back on him. There's hope for you that all you've got to do is that 180 degree turn. Open up your heart to him. Believe on him and living water will flow into you and then it will flow out of you to other people. 
People have discussed this for years. They say, raise your hand if you're side of a church service and then somebody will pray with you. And other people have said, no, you have to go forward to an altar in order to pray, in order to receive Christ. And others have said, you know what? And I say, you know what? Where you're at right now, you can make that an altar. And you can tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of damming up my heart and living with other things as my water. I want the living water that you give. Will you be my Lord and Savior? And that's it. You're a Christian. And in the words of Scott Hahn in his book, The Creed, uh, uh, in the third chapter, I know it can be difficult for some of us. I know it can be difficult for you because there's so much stigma that comes with it. And this is the way Scott Hahn describes it in his book. He says, to confess the faith of Christians was a matter of enormous consequence. To confess faith in Jesus was to accept the stigma and to agree to share in his inglorious death in hope of a share in his glorious resurrection. That was the same for early Christians at the turn of two millennia ago. It's the same for us today. And so we're given this promise. Um, Blair, if you'll look up Philippians 2, and we'll read verses 9, 10, and 11. Jesus is our living water. He quenches our thirst. And, and it's not in a way that, you know, that we, we talk about like quenching our thirst. Like he's satisfying. He gives us hope. He restores us. He atones for our sin. The things that we hate about ourselves, he atones for those things. And he redeems us. We're going to close with this. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will be safe and that next year we won't be sick anymore. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.